We're so glad to have you join us here on Come Follow Up. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. Today we're going to study together 3 Nephi chapter 20 through 26. Ye are the children of the covenant. In these chapters, Christ again administers the sacrament. He teaches the important and critical truths of the gathering of Israel and of covenants. Christ helps these people understand these critical truths by going to Isaiah and Malachi and quoting from them. He reminds them of the records fulfilled by Samuel the Lamanite and asks them to record these writings. He reminds them to search the scriptures. Christ is also going to leave these people those who are left are asked to minister to each other. They're asked to keep all things in common. These are absolutely critical truths for the gathering of Israel and for the creation of Zion for today. Now, Barbara, I'll be honest with everybody here. These passages were a little bit difficult for me to get through. Um, they're really dense. You get a lot of scripture quotations from the Old Testament. So my ability to kind of engage with this scripture in a thoughtful way is limited. Uh, but so you're an ancient scripture man. Still, I do New Testament, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so for that reason, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Dr. Joseph Spencer. Welcome, Joe. Uh, Joe's going to help us work through some of these scriptures together today. So Joseph... You're an assistant professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University, awesome. and you're also the editor of the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies. Correct. Joe, your work focuses on philosophy, theology, and scripture, and you have written extensively on the topic of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. So once again, as, as Daniel was just saying, we really appreciate your expertise and your willingness to come and help us get through some of these yeah. wonderful scriptures <laughs> today. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. So one question I do have, I noticed at the beginning of chapter 20, Jesus institutes the sacrament, and there's a few verses on that, and then he jumps immediately into quoting Malachi and Micah and Isaiah. Why does he transition so, because he starts out with the sacrament, and then he transitions so quickly into five chapters of quoting scripture. So what's going on? What do we need to understand to understand the structure of these chapters? Yeah, it's abrupt, right? It seems right. to come out of nowhere. Right. Um, and especially yeah, right after the sacrament. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's actually, I think, really quite helpful here is to recognize that Jesus is picking up right where he left off on mm -hmm. the prior day. Okay. In fact, there's actually a tiny textual variant that mm -hmm. makes a difference here. Mm -hmm. So if you look at chapter 16, verse 17, the way it reads in current editions of the Book of Mormon, okay. it says, and then the words of the prophet Isaiah shall be fulfilled, which say, mm -hmm. and then he quotes three verses from Isaiah 52. However, it was only in 1920 that the word was changed to then. So if I understand correctly, verse 17, it used to say, and when the words. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and when the words of the prophet Isaiah shall be fulfilled, which say, da 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 da, -da. Mm -hmm. end of chapter, uh -huh. we're like hanging on a cliff. Uh -huh. And of course, chapter 17, the very next thing that happens, Jesus looks up and says, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just like us. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that's where he tells them to go home and ponder and try exactly. to understand these things. So just so I understand correctly, he starts talking about Isaiah, and he recognizes that the people don't understand, so he stops. Like, middle of the sentence. Okay. Right? Which <laughs> okay. I think is super helpful for understanding what's happening in chapter 20. Okay. Because then, yeah, coming back to chapter 20, right after he's given the sacrament, notice mm -hmm. as soon as he starts talking, he says, Ye remember that I spake unto you, and said that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, notice he's picking up right in the same middle of a sentence that okay. he ended on the previous day. Behold, they are written, ye have them before you, therefore search them. Now verse 12, and verily, verily, I say unto you that when they shall be fulfilled, then 
So what we're getting now is kind of part two. Mm-hmm. If we try to read chapters 20 through 26 without what's happened on the previous day of Jesus' teachings, it can be kind of contextless and just feel like it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But part of, I think, what's important there is uh, the sacraments, the experiences they've had with the blessing, the healing, mm-hmm. all of this is somehow getting them ready. They can't mm-hmm. handle Isaiah day one, but now with all of this preparation, they've just been given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Now he says, let's get to work. Yeah, Joe, I just, because of your teachings there, I went back to the chapter heading of chapter 16 and it says, Jesus will visit others of the lost sheep of Israel. In the latter days, the gospel will go forth to the Gentiles and then to the house of Israel. And it seems that what he's doing is teaching about the gathering of Israel. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Isaiah is one of the best prophets to be teaching about the gathering of Israel. So he's yeah. saying, let me teach you about the gathering of Israel. I'm gonna use Isaiah to do so. You don't understand Isaiah. And so go home and think about it. And you come back, I'm gonna participate with you. I'm administer the sacrament. And then we're gonna get back into talking about the gathering of Israel. But once again, we need to use Isaiah to help us understand the gathering of Israel. Yeah. Is that what we're seeing here? I think that's exactly right. There's some sense in which Isaiah is the wall they hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's talk about Israel. Let's talk about gathering. <laughs> like, for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Now let's come back after some time, some thought, mm. some rest, some mm. preparation spiritually. Now let's pick right back up with Isaiah, and I think we can get some more. What kind of things are happening during this time that you think dispose the people to be more receptive to the Holy Spirit? Like what's happening such that they're better able to approach Scripture? In chapter 19, um, the 12 disciples had just ministered unto the people for like the entire day, and they had prayed for the Holy Ghost, and who knows how many of the people had been praying to have the Holy Ghost with them. And so just having that entire day to do, where it seems like they were doing nothing but praying, for each other and for for themselves and for their own spiritual understanding. And then literally right before Jesus picks up and starts telling them about Isaiah again, they had just partaken of the sacrament, which is like one of the most sacred experiences that we can have. I would say this is like the second day of his appearance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the first day, they were like, they didn't expect this to happen. I'm sure the the day before that night, they've pondered, they've let decide their headly cares. They forgot about, okay, we don't have to go to work today. I think just having that mindset that we are going to something not usual and a combo of the Holy Ghost makes them more ready for the gospel to be taught. Excellent. So why don't we jump into it? Um, So Jesus quotes from Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, uh, but he quotes a lot from Isaiah. And throughout the scriptures we see Christ says, uh, you know, you need to search the words of Isaiah. Isaiah is important. So sell us on the idea that we need to focus on these. Why is it important for us? Why should we care? Yeah. Well, I'll give a cheap answer first, which is... Jesus says right. to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not very cheap. <laughs> um, but low-hanging fruit. Right. But the, the reason I do think that's important is, I mean, we read the Book of Mormon, the sermons that we just, I mean, we get fired up over are sermons on atonement and resurrection and what does all that mean? We get to Third Nephi and we're like, we like that he blesses children. Mm-hmm. We like that he gives the sacrament. We don't tend to get excited about what Jesus says. I mean, we've been waiting for hundreds of pages for Christ to show up. And when he does, we're kind of like, oh, that's what you've got to talk yeah. about? <laughs> uh, that really ought to, I think, bring us up short and mm-hmm. make us wonder if we're reading quite right. But another, uh, another way to, to come at this is to recognize that there's a rich and deep and complex historical context for the fullness of the gospel. It's easy for us to think about the gospel as being very private, very individual, but when Christ shows up and says, okay, let's get serious, he says, okay, we gotta know the history of the world. We gotta know about peoples that you haven't thought about. We've gotta know about things going on. All of the whole, all these peoples and all of this history 
funnels into one massive project that God is trying to do in the world. Mm -hmm. So he gives them kind of a global perspective of God's work in the world. Yeah, and, and big, right? Uh, <clears throat> across all time here. Mm -hmm. If we're supposed to care about Isaiah, it means not just care about people around the world mm -hmm. and outside of my circle right now, mm -hmm. but 2,700 years ago, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And what was happening 2,000 years, this matters. Mm -hmm. And you know, recently we've had a, a prophet who says we need to be gathering Israel on both sides of the veil. Clearly he's talking about from the beginning of time through the end of time, through all eternity, our responsibility is to be gathering Israel. And, and that's what Christ is talking about here. The critical role of these people and all people that are covenant Israel per se to gather Israel, to gather all people into the house of, house of Christ. Has anyone ever had an experience where you're trying to be a part of the gathering of Israel per se, and you felt just so unsuccessful. Frankly, you didn't, no one came to church, no one got baptized, no one started saying their prayers as a result. Have you ever had, a, had an experience where you're trying to gather Israel and you're failing? I mean, failing as far as terms. So I'm seeing a few hands here. Can you give us an example? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm the only member of the church in my family. I joined the church in 2018. My family was against it. Once I joined the church, I, I left Uganda two months after. I called my mom. I told her, download the LDS app. Once you're done with that, let me know. She did it. She told me I've done it. And I just encouraged her to watch and listen to general conference talks, like to the prophets. And my mom loves music. So I kept on like sending her hymns, like listen to this hymn. It works for me, it can work for you, you know. But later on, she told me, hey, it's not my thing. I'm so sorry you took that path. I'm a Protestant. Just know we're all going to go to heaven. I'm like, okay, I'll meet you in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you dealing with that? I mean, that's, uh, that's very difficult to have a mother that... We actually don't talk about church nowadays. I mean, we can talk about God, but church beliefs, no, we do not talk about Bibles and stuff like that. She just tells me, pray, God is everywhere. And that's everyone, because most of my friends ain't members of the church. So it's really hard. I've had people have told me, hey, you're now LDS, let's not talk about church, like anything related to church, you know. I'm like, okay. Can I ask you a question? I'm going I'm to word it intentionally provocatively, so don't take offense. You like to manipulate <laughs> <Okay>. people. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like you failed? Oh, yeah. I thought maybe I was setting like an example, you know, like, hey, you can listen to the Spirit have faith and, but I think I just failed. Mm -hmm. I mean, for now I've failed, but I'm mm -hmm. positive they will with time, you know. And I ask that because when I was on my mission, every time somebody wouldn't want to hear the discussions or they would tell us to go away, I felt like it was a failure on my part. And it really got me down and I just, I mean, I would become depressed and thinking I was failing as a missionary and I wasn't being a successful disciple. But over time, I learned that you succeed when you invite, that we only have so much uh, control over these situations. And I think God honors our efforts and he's happy with us when we, when we reach out in the same way that you reached out to your mother. And you shouldn't feel like a failure in any respect. You, you think about Heavenly Father and, and Jesus Christ, and not everyone that Jesus Christ taught when he was on the earth joined the church. I, I don't think anybody in this room would call Christ a failure. One third of God's children turned away from him. Yeah, I think it's important as members of the church that we understand that we do our part and we put forth the effort, but agency is a critical 
principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven does not want us to take away the agency of other people. That's been a, a struggle on a mission, but it's been a struggle in my life where sometimes, and I'm sure many of you could speak to this, where you know the truth, you know the consequences and some of the bad decisions that people are making, and it's painful for us. But at the same time, I think all of us can understand this. That doesn't make us failures. The success is that you are becoming more like Christ. So clearly throughout these chapters, when Christ is speaking to us, he's talking about covenants. This is clearly a priority for Christ. So what I want you to do is go with me to chapter 20, and we're actually gonna mark, if you would like to mark, I love to mark my scriptures, so I want you to at least follow with me the times that Christ uses the word covenant. He explains it throughout the scriptures, but actually the word covenant itself. So in chapter 20, we're gonna go to verse 12. I say unto you, and when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. Then you turn the page to 3 Nephi chapter 20, verse 19. For I will make my people with whom the Father hath covenanted. Then you go to verse 22. Unto the fulfilling of the covenant which I have made with your father Jacob. Then we're going down to verse 25. And behold, ye are the children of the prophets, ye are the house of Israel, and ye are the covenant which the Father hath made with your fathers. Then verse 26, because ye are the children of the covenant. And remember, this is Christ speaking. So verse 27, and after that you were blessed, then fulfilleth the Father the covenant which he made with Abraham. So what is the significance? You've studied these, these sections, these chapters before. You've, we've talked about covenant. We talk about being covenant Israel. That's something that's very, a common phrase in the Latter-day Saint faith, especially. So what, what is this covenant that Christ is talking about? It's the Abrahamic covenant. Thank you. And what do you mean by that? It's the Abrahamic covenant. We talk about it, but what does that really mean? Well, it didn't start with Abraham, but he made it with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But it's his promise to his people. It emphasizes that we can trust him because he never forgot. He's going to fulfill it. The covenant's a two-way promise and he's gonna keep his side of it if we keep ours. Thank you. I'd like to maybe dive in a little bit deeper if we could, perhaps instructing even more specifically about the Abrahamic covenant. Sure, so there's a, I mean, there's a way we usually talk about the covenant, right? Mm -hmm. A sort of bullet point version of it, right? Where uh, Abraham has promised land and he's promised seed and he's promised that the Messiah will come through his line and priesthood and these, mm -hmm. all these blessings and so on. But Abraham's story comes at a very specific moment in the book of Genesis. Here's where knowing Old Testament scripture turns out to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Abraham's story doesn't start until chapter 12 of Genesis. But what's uh, being set up before that uh, helps give a real context for what's happening with Abraham. If you read those first 11 chapters of Genesis, they're stories we know well, right? But what's happening over the course of those chapters is a growing pattern of violence starting with Cain and Abel. As soon as we're out of the garden, we're mm -hmm. killing each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and this starts to spread through the whole world. And by the time you get to the story of the Tower of Babel, we've got nations fighting against each other. It's about power and borders and control and all of this kind of thing. And God has made a promise not to just blow up the lab and start mm -hmm. the experiment over. Mm -hmm. What to do, he calls on this couple, Abraham and Sarah, and says, let's start something here, a different kind of nation. And he, his very first words recorded there to Abraham are, get out of your country, walk away from this identity. Uh, we've got to do something bigger. We're going to get all the families of the earth together bound in one. I think this is the sort of larger vision for the Abrahamic covenant. It's going to be, we're going to need priesthood to do this. And we're going to, this is going to be a Messiah is going to be crucial to make this happen. But the aim is, can we make the whole human family recognize that we are one 
family and, uh, and get rid of our, our propensity toward violence and hurt uh, and hatred. Now, I realize we've talked a lot about uh, a few different things now. It's pretty dense. I'd be particularly interested in how you feel about this kind of vision of our role as children of Abraham in the world uh, to kind of bring the world together as a family. So what are your thoughts right now? What are your insights? What are your questions, concerns? So covenant is a great replacement, I think, to some of the other terminology that we use right now in terms of joining the church. Why not join the covenant, be part of the covenant? Let's be part of Abraham and Christ's um, mission to bring all the people back. And you do that by becoming members of the covenant and then the promises of the covenant are there for us. Yeah, when Moroni shows up in Joseph's bedroom in 1823, scares the day life out of him, right? I imagine <laughs> he quotes from Malachi, which Jesus will quote in these very chapters, but he alters it, right? Alters it from the way it reads in the Bible. And the way he rewords it is uh, that Elijah the prophet will be sent to plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. And then the hearts of the children will turn to their fathers. And the way that's cast then as Moroni comes to Joseph is the restoration is the Abrahamic covenant coming back, right? It's the refocusing of Christianity on what was going on with Israel. The Abrahamic covenant is, is a term, but the covenants themselves in one form or the other, have always, do now, and will always exist in order to have an eternal family and to have exaltation. Thank you. Now, Barbara, I know we tend to associate covenant with ordinances and with priesthood. Can you speak a little bit more about the role of women in you know, uh, exercising the priesthood and priesthood power and, and the power of covenants? Yeah, I th that's a great question. I think specifically as we look at this, these are, these are very uh, temple-centered scriptures. These are, we're talking about the gathering of Israel. We're talking about covenants of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We have been taught, especially with temple covenants recently with President Nelson, President Oaks, President Eyring, President Ballard, about women and priesthood power and authority. And specifically that we, women and men both, receive greater power according to our covenants. And as we are more righteous and as we keep our covenants, we are able to, we are able to have power within those covenants. Not only in our church callings as we are, given that opportunity, but especially as we take the covenants that we make in the temple and we participate in the gathering of Israel and we bring it home. The gathering of Israel cannot happen unless women understand and keep their covenants and they will be blessed with the power to help do that. So that's a great, great question. Something that we as women need to study more and be on top of, so thank you. So what do you think we can do to better understand the covenants that we make in the temple? I think there are a lot of things that we can do. I think, first of all, we do what President Nelson has asked us to do and study carefully the scriptures. He also tells us to spend time in the temple. Uh, he has taught, and this has been my personal experience, that the Lord loves to do the teaching in his own house. I mean, one thing that strikes me, we were talking earlier about uh, what changes from day one to day two, such that these people can really start to grapple with Isaiah and the covenant. And one thing that's interesting is if you look at day one when Jesus gives the sacrament, the way he talks about it, it's kind of external right? Do this in remembrance of my body, in remembrance of my blood. On day two, here in chapter 20, when he gives it, he says, this is my flesh. This is my blood. If you don't eat this flesh, if you don't drink this blood. And it seems as you move from day one to day two, they go from a kind of, I can remember Christ to, he is in me. I am in him. And I wonder if that's part of what allows them to begin to really grapple with the covenant is a changed relationship to their own individual sacramental covenant. Absolutely. So we've been talking about kind of the intersection between service and covenant and the gathering of Israel. Uh, we've actually received the following uh, video question on this topic. 
Hello, my name is Isabel Ng. I am a BYU media arts major from Washington State. And my question is, if I'm currently in a circumstance where I don't have permission to perform temple work for some of my ancestors, why would it be important that I still at this time continuously seek after their stories and to know them? There's my question for you and I look forward to hearing the responses. It's a great genuine yeah, question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one thing I will say is, uh, Oftentimes the commandments of God are intended not just to help other people, but to help ourselves. So for example, the commandment to help the needy in the book of Mosiah, it says help the needy because you need to relieve their suffering, etc. At the same time, it says giving to the needy helps us retain a remission of our sins. Doing temporal work is valuable, yes, for the people on the other side of the veil, but at the same time, it's also a transformative exercise for us. It helps us to be more other-centered and outward-oriented, more charitable, to look towards others, to look beyond ourselves. For myself, doing family history work, just the work of digging these people out of the records is the kind of thing that forces me to realize what humanity really looks like. And of course, allows me to feel connection even if I can't take those names to the temple currently for some whatever reason, right? Um, connecting with other generations of my family, it does something, right? It opens the horizon. President Nelson has, has asked on a number of occasions for us to be doing our temple, temple work. And even when the temples were closed for a period of time, he actually invited the members of the church to do family history work, almost as a compensation for the temple and promise the same blessings as if the temple was open. So recognizing that, that the temple work could not be done, he invited the members of the church to continue to do their family history regardless of those ordinances being performed and promised us those blessings. It's personal to me, I will, will just say, let's talk about other covenants and things that we can do. I, I was not married till I was 40 years old and I could be saying for 20 years, why is the Lord withholding this covenant from me? Why can I not receive the blessings? Well, does that mean I just give up? Of course not. Those blessings will always come. Those ordinances and those covenants will be performed for those people. It just may not be now. The timing for the Lord is very different for the, than the timing for us. But the fact that you're being obedient and following God's commandments is going to be absolutely critical. I know that just for me personally, a lot of my behavior throughout my life has been shaped by the stories that my parents and grandparents have told me the stories of the acts of service that, that they've done throughout their lives, as well as the stories of all the stupid things that they've done throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. As such, I think we're able to learn things from their lives and from their stories that we wouldn't be able to learn from anybody who's currently living today. For me personally, answering that question is, if part of the Abrahamic covenant and a commandment from our prophet is to gather Israel on both sides of the veil, and the, one of the purposes is to unify us all together as families. Families are critical, essential, in God's plan, this is our family. I want to know them now, and we can start building those relationships before we get there and meet them in person. What do you think is the spiritual value of looking at God's work as more on a global scale than on an individual scale? What kind of work does that accomplish? I think that when we are outward looking, uh, we're focusing on charity, and, and that's an example of how Christ is. He's an outward looking, mm -hmm charity, what can I do to serve others? And his whole purpose and the purpose of the Father is to bring to pass, as we know, the immortality and eternal life of man. And Christ, I believe, is trying to help us to see that as well. Yeah. Of course, we are concerned about our salvation and our exaltation, but we're, we can never be saved alone. I, yeah. I can't imagine being saved by myself. That would be hell to me, frankly. 
heaven to me is my family and friends and those I love, and hopefully those I'll be able to serve in the future. And I yeah. think that's probably similar with Christ. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And if you were to trace out in the scriptures signs of spiritual maturity, what do spiritually mature persons like? One of the things you'll see is that spiritually mature persons turn outward. Think of Lehi when he gets to the tree. He eats it, he sees, oh, this is so delicious, and he turns around and looks for his family. Think of Enos when he's praying. He prays for himself, please forgive me, God. He's forgiven, and then he prays for the Nephites, he prays for the Lamanites. The sons of Mosiah, they couldn't bear that uh, one soul should be lost. It caused them to quake. This idea that you're so connected, you love other people to such a degree that you can't, you can't imagine a heaven without them. And I think that's how Christ wants us to see each other. That's how Christ wants us to understand God's work in the world, as working towards this goal. Joe, we'd like to thank you specifically for being here with us today. Yeah. And thanks for your insights and your comments and your study of the Book of Mormon. We'd also like to thank all of you. Thank you for your study of Come Follow Me. We appreciate your work and your efforts in that area. Yeah, and we hope our discussion has been helpful. I know I've certainly learned a lot. Um, we're eager to hear your thoughts and, and questions and comments, whether on social media or in person. So until next week, please join us and we'll come follow up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.